Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. This is episode 59, only one more to go in season three, and we are truly saving the best for last this time. We have with us Kimmy Ragone, who is a nurse injector out of Philadelphia, my new bestie. We just met at Coast to Coast Cadaver in November, and I just immediately fell in love with her. She's been in the industry for almost, well, I guess 23 years, crazy talented, an amazing instructor. She's taught for Galderma for Evelis, for MERS. She's kind of been around the world doing all the things. She's a certified plastic surgery nurse, so she's been in the OR and did her time there, laid the grind down in the OR, I'm sure, in the early, early morning. So she knows all about anatomy, facial structures. She's got skills for days and days. And if you haven't seen it, go to Amy Birkenstam's Instagram. She did a whole sculpture of facial rejuvenation for Amy a few days ago that was absolutely phenomenal. So keep looking at Amy's face as it changes and grows. But Kimmy, we're happy, we're happy to have you here today with us to tell us all about what you've been doing, the 20 years you've been in the industry, and how to survive and thrive in aesthetics. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. We're glad to have you. And you have a whole different perspective than most of our guests, because you are currently the director of skincare and injectables for a plastic surgery office, so Bucky Plastic Surgery in Philly. So you're working within a practice. You're an entrepreneur, as we say, which is not our usual here, which I love because I'm the same as you. I'm an entrepreneur as well. And that's a whole different take on things. So let's kind of go from where you started. Because I said 23 years you've been in aesthetics, which is like forever. So you are a, tr- a legit OG. Walk us through how you landed here on this podcast today. So I started with Bucky Plastic Surgery as a segue from being a high-risk antenatal nurse for five years. And I wanted to get out of that you know, hospital unit-based environment. And I just was looking not to work a lot of weekends and holidays. So as a young nurse, I looked at what was available, what was open to me that didn't require weekends and holidays. And at the time, it was the OR. So I applied to transfer over to the OR. And literally the day I got off of my orientation, the first case that I did was with Dr. Lewis Bucky. So I met Lou in the OR day one. And we were both getting to know that OR and he had just transferred part of his business to uh, UPenn's Pennsylvania Hospital where I had been working. And, you know, it became a sort of one year OR experience. And one day over a patient, it became, hey, have you ever thought about getting into skincare? And, you know, at the time, all those years ago, skincare wasn't the big body of information and services that it is today. I mean, it was basic like exfoliations, chemical peels, and most people weren't really doing it on the regular. So I kind of questioned it like, what is skincare? Like, do you mean like the makeup counter? Like, I don't really understand where you're going with it. He said, oh, go meet this woman up at UPenn. She started the entire like skincare clinic and it sort of kind of grew from there. So I was an OR nurse with him for eight and a half years. It was my full-time job, but I whittled it down to three 12-hour days, and that left me with ample time as a young person to work a few more. And so I started my sort of side gig doing skin and what was IPL. It was like the first laser that had come out other than a diode at the time. And so we really started our business based on 
really the essentials of skin and what was IPL for laser hair removal and some, you know, pigmentation, you know, rejuvenation. And it just sort of grew. I mean, I worked still full-time for UPenn. I worked for him part-time and I grew this little practice, you know, in the late afternoons, early evenings, a couple days a week. And then as it got busier, you know, the need was there for the practice. He became busier. He was doing more surgery. And it sort of blossomed into, hey, did you ever want to try and learn to do Botox or do you want to learn to do filler? So my other nurse colleague was in-house, in practice with him on a full-time basis. I was kind of part-time and we sort of took that road together. And back then, Allergan was really one of the only two companies in addition to, you know, what has become Galderma in the game. There was only Restylane and Juvederm. There was like nothing else. Uh, I think Radiance was the name of what has now become Radius. So there were very few products and it was sort of like pioneering, you know, the aesthetic market at the time. It wasn't the road that we have today where we say, hey, I'm going to leave the OR, I'm going to leave the unit, I want to become an aesthetic nurse. And there's all these resources and all these information to kind of let you take trainings, let you be with a, a nurse like myself and learn what we do every day or even go shadow somebody then. There was nothing. There were the plastic surgeons, there were the dermatologists, and there were actually some facial plastics, but it, it, that wasn't even the practice that it's become today. So, so interesting learning from day one. And we just sort of, again, took it as it came when technology came out, when new fillers were introduced. We did the jet, the original jet trial with Juvederm, and that was like a head-to-head -head study with Restylane and nasolabial folds that was just randomized out of your office. The things that we started with to where we are now, I think, while it can be confusing for a new injector entering the market today, because there are so many products and we've grown into biostimulators and now we're talking about functional you know, medicine and, and stem cells and exosomes and PRP. There's so many things that we have available to us as tools today. But when you started that way, I look back now and I think it was so incredibly important and foundational for what... I've become today because learning one or two products at a time, you could truly master each product before something else came onto the market. You know, I mentioned with the skin and laser practice, we were just doing some basic chemical peels and IPL was like the greatest thing that ever hit the market at the time. And you really got good at performing that treatment. Today, you walk into a practice as a new injector or skin and laser provider, and you've got so many companies that they're unnameable at this point in terms of the skincare market. You have so many back bar products. You have so much technology that's available. How do you know how to select between Cyton, Cartesia, Cineron, all these companies? It's, it's vastly confusing, I think, for new people or someone who's opening a med spa. So I think we had this really cool introduction to each product and each laser and each treatment as it became available on the market. So it wasn't just fun and exciting. It was sort of an opportunity each time to learn something new, add it to your you know, toolkit, so to speak, and really provide additional treatments for each patient that was individualized, that was unique, and that was sort of cutting edge. So it was a fun time to enter the industry. Yeah, we just had a whole lesson in the last 20 years of aesthetics because it is shocking. And people who were just doing collagen back in the day, I love to hear those stories about we had no idea where we were going to put it, what we were going to do with it, but we just gave it a whirl. And, you know, 
Julie Kaplan talks about it a lot. Like I made every mistake you could possibly make. I didn't know what I was doing. I just tried it out on people's foreheads to see if it would work. And it was like you guys set the, I mean, you laid the foundation for all the rest of us who have come, you know, after you in some way to figure this whole, this whole industry out. But I think what I think, or what I think is most important about you is you spent time in the OR. Now I talk about this a lot with injectors who ask me like, how do I get good? Like you have to spend time in an OR, like learn the anatomy, watch a facelift or 10. A cadaver is one thing, but it's not a living specimen. As you know, it looks way different when there's blood flowing in the veins. Do you feel like your time there, because you are a CPS and you just passed your test again, I believe yesterday or the day before. So to read, to read your certification, do you feel like that was integral in you learning injectables uh, and doing good from the beginning? Like just knowing all the anatomy part of, of what you do? I do. I think being in the OR and being an OR nurse with a board certified plastic surgeon was an absolute key point in where my career eventually took me. Having the foundations with a facelift surgeon, especially, I just, listen, got lucky the day that I, you know, was paired in the OR and I was scheduled to just circulate with Lou Bucky. I mean, it was very um, nerve wracking at the time as a new OR nurse, but boy, was that a incredible foundation for everything that came after that. And, you know, you don't realize it at the time because, again, the industry wasn't where it is today. Thank God we have things like CDC and we've got, you know, Chris Surick and we've got Sebastian Cotofana. I mean, we've got such pioneers today in in cadaver dissection. It's unlike what we started with. And I don't we didn't even have cadaver labs. It wasn't even a discussion back then. So being live in the OR with somebody like. Lou Bucky, who's doing, you know, several facelifts a week. I feel truly, you know, fortunate and lucky to have that foundation because I saw every single part of the face, the eyelids, the brow, the neck, and the body for that matter, you know, up close and personal, you know, layer by layer. He's an incredible instructor and teacher, not just for the OR staff and for our office staff, but He's always been an instructor for University of Pennsylvania's, you know, residents. We've had fellows in our office. So the amount of education that was laid down as a foundation for me early on is an absolutely critical point. It's why it made sense when we started talking about cadaver labs or, you know, going to see, I think Chris Turk really blew it up early. He was the one that sort of like started his own course that's now, you know, become something more. But that was really the first person who took a liking to anatomy in a way that was relational to what we were doing every day. And his analogies make sense to us just as laypersons, in addition to being someone who's in a plastic surgery or a med spa, it just makes sense the way he explains things. And I think anatomy is always the key and most important foundation to everything. Because if you don't know the anatomy, you're always going to be afraid. What am I going to run into? What's going to happen if I do this here? What if I switch the product that I'm using? How is that going to respond in the tissue? But if you know your anatomy, you always can go back to your common sense foundation of this is where a tendon is. This is where a muscle is. This is where a deep space. This is a superficial space. This is dermis, epidermis, each individual layer and what that feels like and what it looks like. And you always have that. So when you're injecting, you like think about where do I want to be? Where is this product best suited in this patient? 
Is their tissue thicker? Is it thinner? What's going to work and give the best outcome and result? And when you have anatomy as your foundation, I think it's just an incredible touch point that will always stay with you. Spending a day in the OR is a fantastic idea. It's probably hard to achieve if you're not working in one of these institutions. You're going to have to search out someone who has their own OR and would be willing to have a nurse injector or a you know, resident or a what have you, or a young MD go in there and really look at what is a facelift, what is a blepharoplasty, what is a brow lift, you know, what is a neck lift, and why do you do a neck and facelift together 99% of the time? Because it just yields a better outcome. We don't like to segment areas. And I think that speaks to how we now are viewing filler and and looking at filler and neuromodulator together and what we can do to get your best outcomes. It's no longer a one, two or three syringe outcome for most patients anymore. It's more, you know, full face for men and women. And where can I highlight what's great about someone's anatomy? And what do I need to, you know, go in and you know, revolumize. What do I want to contour? What do I want to highlight? Where do I want to eliminate shadows? And and what do I want the light to reflect off of? And when you think of the each individual as a whole, you still always go back to that anatomy foundation. Well, it's funny you mentioned that with Chris because in 2017, he and I were together. We were building Gia. Well, she was Lucy Live then. Yeah. We we're sitting around a table, like figuring out what should we put in her. You know, basic anatomy, the normal stuff, and. We were like, you know, this thing with ligaments has really got to be shown. We're not doing it in the U.S. No one's talking about it. I just come back from Monaco, uh, and internationally, you know, ligaments are everything. They look about, they look at ligaments like we look at, you know, a fat pad. It's just what they talk right. about all the time. And I'm like, Chris, we got to include ligaments. He's like, oh, I know we do, but no one's going to understand it, Tiffany. No one talks about that unless they're in a plastic surgery setting and you just don't discuss it. It was like a turning point. The first game training that we did afterwards with Lucy having ligaments, people were like, ligaments, huh? That's important for injecting. It's not a fat pad. It's not part of the, you know, subcutaneous. It's not on the periosteum. Like, why are we talking about it? And it, now you go anywhere and it's like ligaments, ligaments, the hammock, the hammock, the hammock, ligaments. But it was like a defining moment for me of thinking, we're about to change this ship, turn the, you know, turn the Titanic and go a different way away from the iceberg because this has to be talked about. And I think it, those were kind of the days where everything blossomed and we all decided that anatomy really is important. We should probably focus on it. But I think you mentioned a few things there that are also equally important. And you've been around long enough to see the evolution of things is the product for that patient. So the skin envelope, you know, is, there, is your, their tissue thick? What does their anatomy even look like? You know, the structure of their face. They, like I'm a black hole. You can put in eight cc's and see nothing because I just eat it all up. Like, who is the patient that you're working with? What does their face look like? And then what product should you choose? Because I feel like we don't discuss that enough with trainings is this product is not perfect for every patient, perfect for this patient or for that patient, but not all patients. And it also depends on their anatomy. So as you think about bringing stuff into your practice now, how do you pick and choose what you bring in? What fits? Is it profitability or is it effective use or training? Like what's your algorithm for that? So in our plastic surgery based practice, we've got four offices across the Philadelphia area. So I'm in one of those four. My office is predominantly a location where we just do injectables and we do skin and laser. Um, Our other two locations in the city, one is a body center. So it's really everything from the neck down, a lot of um, things in the fitness realm and in the wellness world. So it's things like cryotherapy and, and balancer pro compression and red light therapy. And we have a gym and we have personal trainers and We have just about everything you can imagine that happens from your neck down. But our main surgical location um, also has a number of things there that are 
surgical, um, you know, minimally invasive surgical, and then we get into our non-surgical injectables and skin and laser, and that is contained in our plastic surgery settings in both locations. So my location in Rittenhouse Square is really just skin and laser and injectable. So we're like sort of, we don't have a true med spa, but if we did, I'm in the med spa location of Bucky Plastic Surgery because we don't really do surgical consults there. We have the opportunity to use anything that we like. If one of our nurses really favors, you know, Revance's product, you know, portfolio, they're welcome to use Revance. If somebody else wants to use Allergan, or if I want to use Galderma, or if I really like Juveau in addition to Botox, I've got everything at my fingertips. It is a very, very fortunate position to be in. And I don't have to think too much about what my profitability is from an injector standpoint. If I wanted to be selfish, I could just use anything that was the right thing for the patient. And I think that is ultimately what happens with each of us. We might get to that endpoint differently because we may look at injectables just slightly different. Everybody's aesthetic eye is a little bit different, but I don't have to look and compete over financial um, issues with, am I gonna use Botox on this client or am I gonna use Juveau because Juveau is much more profitable for me than Botox is right now due to costs per vial, et cetera. But, um, I use what's best for my patients. You know, I happen to be a user of Javo. Uh, one of my other colleagues is as well, but the other three nurses don't really favor it. They favor Botox and Dysport. So I think that for our practice model, you know, maybe if we had to go back, we might say, hey, it would be a better idea to just have Botox and, and Allergan products and maybe Radiester Sculpture because they're kind of unique in the biostimulatory category, but we're not going to carry everything else because that doesn't sound profitable to us. We're not going to hit that tier level that we need to be on to be more profitable, to gain those extra benefits of being black diamond, you know, platinum, whatever these, you know, different industries are calling their tier levels. But I think that when we look at what's best for patients, our ultimate goal at Bucky Plastic Surgery is deliver an excellent outcome safely and provide the patient with the most exceptional experience when they are with our clinicians and in our office so that they go back in the world and they have wonderful things to say, regardless of whether I picked Galderma, Revance, MERS, it doesn't matter. It's all about the outcome of the patient, how you educated that person, how they felt when they were with you and how they feel when they're out in the world. And hopefully in our hands, that means that they really notice what we've done for them. But the rest of the world sees that as something that's relatively undetectable and natural. So product choices are kind of at our discretion. And I think it's a wonderful kind of point about why it's nice to be in a, you know, position like being in a practice setting rather than being on my own. I think if I were on my own in my own med spa, my thought process about what I used and why I used it would be much more deliberate, both for good outcomes, for safety profiles, and lastly, of course, I'd have to be looking at what my bottom line and my finances were. We all do. And I think when I look back at where we are with our fortunate position at Bucky Plastic Surgery is, We've set up the practice in such a way that I don't have to worry so much about if I opened a bottle of Botox versus a Voluma syringe versus something else in the market. It doesn't matter. It's about are they safe? Are they scientifically backed? 
Are they going to yield a good outcome? Did I make a good decision with my patient in mind? And, you know, are they coming back? Are they happy? Have they given us a great review? Did they go refer three of their friends? That's my goal every time. Deliver the best outcome and best experience regardless of product choice. You just said so many good things there that I've got to like take 18 steps back. What I, what I want people to hear, whether it's on this podcast, anywhere you go, is what you said about you're fortunate because you're in a different kind of practice. I think so often nurse injectors, they show up to a fight that they're not, that you're not even at, like you're not even there. You're in a whole different, you're in a whole different place. You're in a whole different arena somewhere else. They're trying to compete the way that you compete and they just can't because they don't have the same luxury that you do to have four locations, a plastic surgeon who's supporting a big part of the practice, all the things you mentioned about the gym and, and cryotherapy and red light, like, but I'm coming there for that. That sounds incredible. It's a, it's like saying I'm going to go to Neiman Marcus or I'm going to go to, you know, a, a local boutique, right? It's just, it's a scale game. And so I think we oftentimes on podium here, people talk about, you know, what you said, like, I love to pick the product for the patient. I'm not, and I'm not um, handcuffed to something particular or a profitability number. They're like, gosh, I can't do that. I wish I could. How come she can do it? And I can't do it. And they really get down on themselves about it. And, and it just becomes this, you know, this big thing about price and my being treated fairly as my other colleagues. Like you're just in a different race. Like you're running a whole different race right now, different, different sport, different arena. And so I feel like it's such a valuable thing to mention that, you know, profitability and those kinds of things are critically important when you're in that model. And when you're not, you can do whatever you want to do. Then it's, I mean, hello, it's amazing. I love it because you get to pick what you want to pick. But I like what you said about, you know, it's whatever is best for the patient as far as like a holistic plan. Like, is it toxin? Is it filler? Is it, you know, sculpture? Whatever it is, all packaged together, you deliver a result and an outcome, which I think is where we're trying to go as an industry. It's very hard still. We're still looking at units and syringes. But what are the kinds of things, even for like a post facelift patient, you know, if they're coming back to you for maintenance, that you most often pair and package together that are really your go-to, you know, everyone gets this thing when they start. This is kind of my signature, my signature uh, tool. And then what does that plan look like for you as you look at their faces over the course of a year or two years or three years, you know, ongoing changes? That's a lot of questions there, but. That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try and hit all of them. I think that for me with a, you know, a facelift patient, for example, as you said, um, you know, once they're healed from their facelift, we we have a program where each of our surgeries really comes with a series of things attached to it so that patients, again, it all ties back to give them the best outcome. And so there might be things like a lymphatic drainage massage. There, There's oftentimes skin or laser. There are definitely an entire series of, for us, Sente or Augustinius Botter products that are provided for the healing process. So Everything that we do is well thought out from the minute that patient calls our office to the time that they're out in the world having dinner with, you know, their husband or their neighbors or their best friends, and they are sharing that experience. We want it to be the best possible experience. So I think that has always been at the basis of everything we do and why we choose to do what we do. Our ultimate goal is to take superb care of our patients and give them the best possible experience. And with that comes, fortunately, the experience of like a facelift that they've already had their skincare products. So what do you think happens if they like those that served them well as they were healing? They felt hydrated. They felt moisturized. They felt good. Their skin was a little glowy, even though they were healing. Gosh, Kimmy, I really like that product. Do you can I buy this? 
what should I be transitioning to now that I'm two or three months out and can I get my tox treatment? So I always think the you know, first thing that we do post-surgery, probably coming back into the injectable world, is probably a little bit of tox. And, you know, we don't typically do filler right away because Dr. Bucky uses a significant, you know, portion of patients. Almost every patient really is getting some form of fat transfer. It could be that somebody's fat, you know, once it's settled after about three, four months, that they might feel like they actually would like to enhance their lips a little bit because now everything is kind of positioned back where it belongs. Their natural aesthetic has been enhanced. Our goal is to turn back the clock, you know, five, seven years with that surgical procedure. And now they're feeling pretty good. They probably cut and colored their hair. They might've changed up their makeup a little bit. And it's time to like, look at some other things and Hey, I never considered injecting my lips, but geez, now that I have this fantastic cheek, my jawline is, a little bit sharper. I don't have this hanging neck. You know, should I should I do a little something here? What do you think? You know, that's a great pairing for a um, facelift patient. And facelift patients' ages have changed drastically over the years. You know, the the average facelift patient ten years ago was probably fifty five to sixty five, um, with some variation above and below that. But it was pretty much the gold standard. And today, I'd say the facelift patients, you know, age range has dropped significantly. So we're really seeing that some patients are coming in at as early as you know forty two, forty five, because genetically they're just not blessed with tight skin, a great jawline, or, you know, a high cheekbone. And so their tissues are gravitating off of that structure um, in a way that looks more mature, more like somebody who is in their 50s or early 60s from a skin or a laxity or volume loss standpoint. So some of those patients are so fun to work with because their skin's tighter. And now they can do the injectables that we may have declined early on because we said, you know what? It's just not going to look great. I don't think it's the right answer for you. And I think that ties into saying no to patients. You know, if they really aren't a good non-surgical candidate, then we shouldn't be offering them non-surgical services. And even if you're in a med spa setting or you're not with a, a, a plastic surgeon or a facial plastic surgeon, you're in dermatology or you're in a med spa, you really need to develop a relationship with someone who does beautiful, natural surgical work so that you have a good referral source. So when you know you can't keep sticking more syringes of hyaluronic acid in somebody's face and you can't give them any more Sculptra because they're full, but they're just heavy on that lower segment. They've got that heavier jaw. They're getting square. It's not going to be fixed with filler or with uh, you know, Cyton Halo or with uh, Morpheus 8, you, you've got to get beyond that. That's great for kind of doing what you can for the skin at that point, but it's not going to handle the gravitational change. It's not going to handle true skin laxity. And for those things, we need a really good surgical referral source, whomever that is in your area. You need to develop that relationship. And if you haven't reached out or you haven't researched and your patient base is young, and I see this a lot in the med spa industry, you know, people are doing kind of younger treatments and people are entering this aesthetic market at a much younger clip. So we're seeing 18 to 25 year olds coming in for their first tox treatment or their lips or their their chin because their chin's a little weaker receded. And it's sort of like that's their gateway 
product to being with you. And if we think about when it started, and you mentioned Cosmoderm and Cosmoplast, I remember those two. We used to call them party plumpers because they only lasted like six or eight weeks, but it was like ideal if you had like an event. They were like the event temporary fillers. They were great for that, but we've come a long way since then. And, you know, you really need to have something more than fillers, biostimulators, and technology in your, in your, you know, in your court. You've got to have a solid doc that you can refer out to when people are beyond some of these non-surgical things. Everybody wants to be non-surgical because it sounds really magical. It's, I'm going to come in, I'm going to get a couple of little needles, so-and-so is going to take care of me, my friend referred me, it's going to be great. And most of the time it is. But when you start to have your patient base that started out as 25 to 35 and you're 10 or 15 years in, they are all landing in facelift land and they need something for their jawline and their neck that isn't a hyaluronic acid. They need something bigger than that. Morpheus 8 and a a little Velux isn't going to handle their jawline anymore. You know, four syringes of Restylane and lift isn't cutting it. They're still heavy and droopy. They need a surgeon. So you have to know when to refer out uh, to these services to really have the best outcome for your patient. And it takes maturity and it takes time in the industry to know when that is. I think early on when we inject, you know, we were always taught segmentally. It was like, oh, Restylane came out. It's FDA approved for nasal labial folds. Every candidate that walked in the office after wrestling came out was a candidate for nasal labial folds. Everybody. That's just how we learned. That's what we did. And then when the next product came out, it was like, oh, are we going to use wrestling or are we going to use Juvederm for the nasal labial folds? Because that was the next thing. And then some of us, the little old school pioneers, we said, can we stick this in somebody's cheek? Or what about that little hollow area on that six-year-old lady who was just in like, geez, she'd be great for that. I'm going to try it. You know, and we started branching out into off-label and that's how kind of off-label the term was born because it wasn't what the FDA approved the, the, you know, filler or the medication for, but. Yeah. You said a lot of things there that, um, about the way the industry has changed that I think are just, I mean, mesmerizing in 20 years, just mesmerizing. If we think about products and where we come from uh, to where we are now, but a couple of things I think that you said that really hit home for me is if you know your product and how it behaves, you know, your anatomy, you can try new things. Like you don't have to be scared to try new things. If you know what it's going to do in the tissue and you know where you can put it in the tissue, then I think it kind of gives you the freedom to say, can I put it in the cheek? You know, will it work here? Is it, then you know, is it, is it G-prom high enough? Is it going to stimulate collagen? You know, all yada, 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 all the things. But I feel like you guys all spent so much time learning about the products because you had time, as you mentioned in the beginning, you had time to learn about them that you could try things and feel like you weren't going to have massive implications for it because it all made sense to you. And I think now because there is such an influx of products, we're learning. Um, I work with Renuva. Renuva is a, a fat transfer that's off the shelf and people can't figure out how to use it because it's not like true fat. It's a honeycomb and this, the MOA is a little bit different. Like just spend a day or two learning about it and then you could use it in all kinds. It's, you know, there is no label. Put it wherever you want to put it. Put it wherever fats, you know, fat grows. But I think it's things like that that are so new and different that we're not used to learning about them. The studies don't make sense because they're not an HA study. Even sculpture, because it's not an HA, it's like, how does it really work? People still have a problem understanding it because it doesn't work like a filler. Like, well, you have collagen that, you know, that's growing. And so I feel like we're in this weird, um, like, crossroads in the industry. We have so many cool, amazing new things coming out. But it's almost, in some cases, too much at once that we can't keep up. We can't keep up with all that's happening. And if you're new here... You know, for our new our newbies coming in, I can't imagine walking in saying we have this many toxins, we have this many fillers. What does what? 
what's regenerative, what's not. Do we do threads? Do we do exosomes? Do we do, you know, are you going to use easy gel now? Just, just a lot of choices. So I think about that as you guys have kind of evolved from where you started at to now, you're setting the tone of what we do next and what, what is safe and what isn't safe and what, you know, the nasal labial fold 10 years ago, everyone did it now. We wouldn't touch it for anything in the world, right? They're like, heck no, I'm not doing it. But I think to that same point, if you think about patients coming in today that are 18, 22, getting toxin, this is my curiosity, Kimmy, is if they start Sculptra and a regiment now, you know, when they're young, do you think they can stave off a facelift for another 10 years because they've kept their collagen really active? They've kept their volume, you know, the tablecloth has been full. Because I look at myself and think, gosh, I'm 40. If 45 is Subio's requirement for a facelift, like I'm five years away from a facelift and I'm freaking out. I've been doing sculpture for, you know, I don't know, forever, not nine, 10, I don't know, a lot of years. So do we get more leeway if we're starting now where these things are already coming in? Do we get to wait a little bit longer for our facelift? Or do you think it's just because we can only go so far and just rip off the Band-Aid and get it done? Just go do it and be done with it. I think, you know, you bring up a great point. It's it's interesting because, again, many years ago, you know, when you got to 50, it's it's kind of like, again, we see all these cool little memes and things on Instagram and on TikTok, right? You see the picture of like, remember that movie, Father of the Bride, and you see Steve Martin and his co-star Diane Keaton, and they're literally like 44 and 45 in that movie. And any of us who've seen it can think back to that movie and go, there's no way they were 45. Like, how did they look like they're in their 50s or 60s in that movie? They can't be the parents of that bride. But if you think about it, the girl who played the bride was only in her 20s. She was super young. So... It fits, but that's how different doing preventative care, dyeing one's hair, choosing to, you know, eat well, exercise, all the things, they make a big impact. So to your question, if I've used a few sessions of Sculptra, you know, every couple of years as somebody who was 25 and 35 and now 40, and I've done some periodic skincare lasers or hyaluronic acids, Am I maybe set up or teed up to be a little better off than even my identical twin sister who didn't do that? I think um, one of the cool things I saw recently on um, Instagram that sort of hits this concept, you know, home is that um, Park Avenue RN just put one up and she has her husband and her brother-in-law. And it was a super interesting photo. If you haven't seen it, go to her page and go look it up. These are two brothers who lived very differently. Obviously, her husband has access to a lot of these aesthetic things, and she's treated him, and he's worn sunblock because she made him. And his aging, compared to his brother that just lives elsewhere who didn't partake in any aesthetic treatments, they look vastly different. They're identical twins, but their aging process is vastly different. So I think that serves as a wonderful example to, if I've done some cosmetic treatments, do I, do I just at a hard number at a hard age need a surgical intervention? And the answer is no. I think it's really about where you are, where your anatomy leads. It's about your facial shape because certain facial aesthetics, if you have a rounder, fuller face your whole life, I'm more of like an oval or a heart-shaped face. My issues are going to be that my neck is going to go first and then my jaws are going to go. And it's not going to be that I have a deep nasal labial fold, but somebody else who has a round face is going to have a, a deep nasal labial fold because of the weight of the cheek, the pressure of the volume loss and the gravity from something that is a little heavier in terms of tissue is going to lend that person to be 
round, but the round is going to be down here as opposed to being up here where it was when they were once youthful. So we have to keep an eye on those and we have to keep an eye on proportions because when we're filling with HAs, it's really easy for any of us to, when we first start, go, wow, my cheeks look great. That that first syringe in is like, wow, okay, I have a little contour. Wow, that looks pretty. My blush looks good. You know, it's small things, but it can easily compound with the wrong combination of a patient who doesn't see themselves as they are any longer and an injector who isn't willing to say no. And we've seen these people, they look odd. They look out of proportion. They look out of sync. They don't have harmonious balance between features. The temple is no longer blending like into the cheek. The cheek is, should have a little bit of a curve, but it shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't look from the side and see that someone's cheek is way up here and crowning the eye. And, you know, when cheeks were like the big thing and everybody was hit the cheek to efface the fold, it's very interesting. But when you're around in this industry and you have the opportunity to educate yourself and spend some of your hard-earned dollars on re-educating yourself, getting yourself the training, not just training others. You learn so much over the years. And one of the big points that I learned back when that cheek craze was a thing and everyone was looking kind of nutty, we all overdid it at one point, myself included. And I think that when we look back now, we think, how did, how did my best friend not tell me? How did my employer not say, hey, can you guys ease up on your lips or your cheeks? Because it became that crazy triad, right? It was like the cheeks, the lips and the chin and everything was kind of too exaggerated. We're getting really, really close right now to overdoing chins and jawlines and making them far too structural. They're no longer looking natural. And that is the next alarming thing in aesthetics right now. However, I go back to if if this is the only thing we know how to do. If all we've learned is what industry has taught us and they have good intent, and I think the companies today are better than they ever were at providing educational training, providing hands-on training with their product portfolio so that you know the reality of which product is the softest and the most pliable, which is going to move and animate better in high motion areas like around the mouth, and what's going to work better as a structural product in a temple, in a lateral cheek, or along a jawline. These are all innovations and ways of thinking about teaching that have changed dramatically over the years, and you're so fortunate to enter the market today where these things are prioritized. However, they still want to sell their products. So when you only take an industry-provided training from Galderma or Allergan or MERS, they are solely looking at that single portfolio of products. And it's your onus of responsibility as an injector to make sure you get the training from the other companies so that you know every single product that's out there and how to deal with them. But overfilling, overdoing was always the sort of the goal because industry maybe wanted you to use, you know, two volumas in each cheek. We look at the clinical study and we say, oh, voluma is going to be great. I'm going to use a half and a half. And you're so underwhelmed when those patients came back and you kind of didn't understand why. You read and really do a deep dive on the clinical information and all those patients, while they were initially treated with three or four syringes, they came back in one year and they were treated again with multiple syringes. Is that a problem or an issue? No, but you need to know it as an injector so that you can educate your patients appropriately and you can choose and select your treatments appropriately as to what might be best. So if I take an attractive woman like Tiffany and I sit her in my chair and I'm 
looking at something that is out of proportion and doesn't benefit or suit her, it's still my duty as an RN or as a PA or as an MD to learn to say no. But explain why you're saying no. Explain what the upside of the alternative treatment is or no treatment at this time. There are so many products, you know, there's, you know, four um, FDA approved products in the Revance line. There are several in both the Galderma pipeline and as well as the Allergan pipeline. And you've got, you know, another couple in the MERS pipeline and you have things that are going to be coming out over the next couple of years. You're going to be hearing a lot more about mixtures of products. And we we look at our key opinion leaders in this field. Shino Bay comes to mind because he's just so innovative and creative and thoughtful. And Dr. Rajani is another one. You know, they're talking already about taking some of the tech in like exosomes and um, in some of the biostimulators and mixing them. There have been people who have always used Sculptra or who always used hyperdilute radius before it was a thing. And some of you I know think it's just a thing right now, but it's been a thing for years. It just hasn't been as widely discussed and talked about. But now that we're looking at what else can we do besides just fill the face with hyaluronic acid, we need alternatives. And I think it is good that there are things that emerge on the market. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about industry, too, is, you know, they can also only teach on label. And so I feel Correct. like a lot of the things, you know, they're putting a circle peg in a square hole to say, I can only teach you an NLF. So I'm going to figure out a way to make the NLF relevant for you, which might be pumping it up and doing whatever I have to do. You know, we can't do the piriform. We can't do temples. We can't do, in some cases, you know, parts of the cheek with certain products. Like, there's just so much with the FDA that I think we, you know, having come from Galderma from Gain for so many years, we had to be creative with, within our little box that we were living in. And so I think your point of if you don't make friends with other people who are also amazing injectors, you don't go to trainings, you don't invest in yourself learning the off-label or the innovative ways to use products, and you only ever learn from the free manufacturer training, you cannot differentiate yourself as an injector with that. You cannot differentiate yourself with your skill set in that regard. You lose the ability to innovate. And I think you, you'll lose footing long term if you don't spend the money and go, you know, go learn and change. But uh, I also want to mention Versa is a great product for those of you who, who are listening. I love it. It's in my lips. Shout out to my Versa folks at Prolinium. But I mean, you mentioned so many things there that I think are so relevant. And one of the things is also if a person is ready for a facelift, just have them get a facelift. My sister and I had a discussion last night, actually. She's like, by the time I get a Morpheus and I get threads and I get all this toxin, I got this filler, I get sculpture, I might as well go have a damn facelift. And like, you know, actually probably should. Like you're at the point money-wise that what you'll spend in the next five years on all that stuff, you could get an amazing facelift that will last you to your point, you know, maybe 15 years because she's still quite young and, and her skin's still nice and thick and she just has a lot of volume loss. So I think there is a point where you have to decide, do I keep pumping them full of filler? And praying to the filler gods that it, you know, it, it keeps, I don't get filler fatigue and, you know, crazy swollen faces. Or do I just say, hey, come back when your facelift is done and then we'll start back on your lips or your talks, whatever it is. And I think when you don't have to, uh, when you can say no and do it confidently, that's the right choice for that patient. It's like, just go get a facelift. It's just too expensive otherwise. So I think we are at this weird time right now where you've got to make that choice because people want to have a surgical result on a non-surgical budget. And that's just not reality when it comes to big sweeping changes. But I digress. I think that's an excellent point. There are so many patients who truly want on their non-surgical budget, they want a surgical outcome. And so it's that I think has actually accelerated the innovation in our industry because we've been looking for newer ways to provide something that's closer to that. It's never going to be a surgical result. It's never going to provide 
the the layers and the depth of the muscles being put back up where they belong and filling in the volume in the way that is just so subtly naturally like it used to be, we get close, I think, with all of the tools that we have today. If somebody's done a series of, of Morpheus 8, they've done a couple of moxies or a halo. They've also, you know, invested in, in clinical grade skincare and they've been using it judiciously and they've kept their toxin appointment, you know, three times a year and they've done filler, you know, once a year or twice a year. I think those are great things and it does provide longevity. And as I'm like looking in the camera at you, Tiffany, and even at my own reflection, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not doing so bad. You know, it's, it's, it does help a great deal, but there are those candidates, as you mentioned, like, are you going to do a biostimulator? Are you going to do threads? Are you going to do a facelift and who really qualifies? I think the limiting factor is for a lot of people, regardless of age is finances and finances have to be discussed. And I think one of the greatest things that, you know, has happened to our practice in the last year and a half to two years was we have a relationship with a company called Patient Phi, and they're sort of spreading their, you know, tentacles throughout the um, aesthetic community. They started more with board certified plastic surgeons because it was a really good fit for surgical financing. But they will, like other companies, be branching out. But I love them because I can confidently tell my patients that if they need financing for surgery or they need financing to do even our annual beauty plan, I have that available through Patient Phi. They're not going to hard credit check them. And they have more favorable um, loans, I think, than our alternatives that for many, many years were only really care credit. And I really love that program. Patients have been super happy with it. And it allows us to do an annual plan, which is a great um, talking point too. But offering the appropriate um, ways to finance, whether that's a check, a credit card, cash, your own um, benefits program within your practice. We have one that we call uh, the Bucky Black Card. And that Bucky Black Card is utilized not just for um you know, it's not a surgical card. You can't use it towards surgery, but for all of our non-surgical services, patients can purchase a card at a particular number. And with that, they then get 20% off of all their injectables until that card balance hits zero. So it works like a prepaid debit card, but they get a 20% discount on all of their injectable services throughout the year. They then get 15% off of all their um, skin and laser. So their products or services. And it's a really terrific loyalty program. So one of the things you can do in med spas, you know, plastic surgery, facial plastic, derm, it doesn't matter, is provide something to your patients that gives back. And when you are a high volume practice, I think that we can give back because we have the ability to have relationships that are possibly a little bit more um, beneficial because of volume, simple volume, you know, can do that for some of the tiers with the companies. And why not share that with some of our patients? We don't need to keep every single penny in our pocket. That's not what we're here for. We're here to provide a beautiful experience for a patient and to provide something to them that is attainable and not so high level that they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. So my new favorite sort of treatment for those patients who have either already had their initial facelift and they're not looking to do a second, they just want to maintain, or they haven't had it yet, they're not quite there yet. They're in their 40s or maybe even in their early 50s, but have maintained and have great anatomy. They've taken care of their skin. They've done all the things, but they want that little bit more than just, hey, 
inject my lips or, hey, do my cheek. They kind of want that global facial beautification. And sometimes that's six or eight syringes. And sometimes it's 12 to 15 syringes. It's miraculous how well-placed, well-planned, high-volume injectables can yield a result that is extremely rejuvenating. But again, it's undetectable to those out in the world. And I feel like some of those patients, even immediately after treating them with the innovations in our industry like cannula use, I mean, that was never a thing years ago. It was always a needle. So a lot of our young injectors entering the market are so fearful of using a needle, even where they need to or should be. And it's recommended that we use a needle. They just want to use a cannula because they're panicked that someone's going to get a bruise or they're going to have inflammation. Well, guess what? They have inflammation with a cannula too. But we're not teaching that right now. We're teaching a cannula safer. Well, if you're injecting somebody in the nose, hopefully a new injector isn't doing that period. But if you are, it's really not recommended that you use a cannula. In fact, it can be downright dangerous if it's injected forcefully into the wrong area. It can split the cartilages. It can cause a lot of problems. So we have to know where our skill sets are and you know where those benefits lie. But facelifts were a great example. You know, If they don't have the finances, what can we do? My newest thing, if I look back at my three to five years in injector self with the limited amount of products we had back then, I look back and I think, yeah, I was good, but I thought I was really good back then. And boy, don't you get humbled the longer that you're in this industry. And Tiffany's been around a long time and seen a lot too. And I know that you know that that's sort of the mark of somebody who is at the next level that you'll you rarely hear anybody at this level say that they're a master or an expert. Um, those terms have been canceled, by the way, on, <laughs> on social media. You're not allowed to say that. So, you know, but I do think that there are, you know, people who are higher level. I mean, if you've been injecting for 10 years or 12 years or 17 years or 22 years, those are valid points of why somebody may want to seek your service over somebody who's been doing this three to five years. But finances, as we said, again, they play into that. So if it's a lot cheaper to go down the street and somebody's able to do talks for $7 a unit, you know, I'm 17. It's not going to ever be what I offer. But it, the the value proposition is so sort of critical here because it's not the talks that you're offering. It's not the amount of units. It's not, you know, how many syringes you use. It's the value overall of your knowledge, of your training, of your past experiences, of how many faces, you know, have been in your hands. And that value is something that is not to be negotiated, in my opinion. If somebody doesn't have the ability to do what I'm recommending for them, there are certain points of a beauty plan that can be separated. Maybe they can just do, you know, from their cheek up in an initial plan and come back in a month or two and do the lower face plan. They don't have to do the whole thing together. But sometimes it's just a matter of, well, for what you really want and for what you want for your goal, I can't achieve that unless you can afford X. So I think we should shelf this conversation and here's financing options. Here's our black card program. Here's what I think is going to benefit you the most. And tox is great. Let's do that today. But let's circle back to a filler plan or a biosimulator plan with Sculptra or Hyperdilute Radius because 
I really need you to purchase this amount to get the outcome that you want for the before and afters that we looked at for where you are in age, for where your tissues are, for what you need. And that comes with time and experience. But value is a huge thing, I think, that should be trending in aesthetics rather than a, a razor sharp jawline. Talking about our value and what we bring to our patients is critically um, important. Yeah, I think the part about value specifically is if you make that promise, you have to deliver on it. I think that's where we find gaps now is I put on Instagram that, you know, you're paying for the value of my skill, not just the toxin. Well, then when the patient shows up in my office, I better have skill. <laughs> I can't just take a trendy meme that someone put on Instagram and say, I'm going to have the same model at my practice. It's all about skills. Like, no, no. If you've not paid for the education, you've not done your time, you've not learned, you can't make that promise because you can't deliver on that promise. And so I think there is a part of it where, you know, your Instagram presence can um, be far more mature than you are as an injector. And so making sure that you balance that out and that you're attracting patients who are a good fit for your skill set in that moment. Because, you know, when you were 35 years in, to your point before, you were great for what you had at your fingertips. But compared to now, not even close, because A, you have more things around you. B, you have time. C, you have experience and training. Like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. But I just think people, sometimes they overshoot the runway a little bit on their skill set and what they're capable of. Um, so that is a that's also a trending issue in the industry. But as you wrap up, because we are so far over time, which is not surprising for you and I, uh, we'll see you at Aesthetic Next September. You're going to be with us talking about uh, all kinds of different things. And you, I think you have a couple talks going on. Obviously, in the Cadaver Lab with David and with Amy. So you'll have two Cadaver Labs there. So you'll be in both of those sharing your insights. What else is coming up for you in the next couple months? Anything exciting and fun we should know about? Um, for me, in the next couple of months, really, the, the next kind of big thing on my agenda is, um, you know, presenting anesthetic next. I'm going to be talking a little bit about non-surgical um, rhinoplasty and its role in the market because it became such a taboo subject, um, you know, in this social media driven market that we're in. I've, you know, been doing it for a number of years and I'm pretty passionate about it. But I, again, have a plastic surgery background and while I'm not a plastic surgeon myself, nor claim to be, I understand the art and the aesthetics and the function down to the bone and the cartilage and what is technically safe and what isn't. And I'd love to share those crawls with some of our attendees, but I'd like to balance it by also showing surgical results and when to refer to a good plastic surgeon, because I think that that is the thing that completes talking about that particular area. I'm also going to be talking about providing, you know, a high level patient experience through consultations and what technology we incorporate, what are the high points of what we actually physically discuss, how long we book that for, and what I think constitutes a, you know, high level educational experience that even if the patient doesn't decide to treat with you, that they've left far more knowledgeable than they walked in the door. And I feel like that's part of um, a great, you know, aesthetic providers, you know, toolkit is to make sure that at the very, very least, you've provided a great education and balance. And then I think we're we're talking about perspectives um, on a panel as well, right? We're going to mix that up with some docs and nurses and talk about, you know, some regional things and thoughts from the plastic surgery side, the med spa side, the facial plastic side, and how that all fits in. And I think that'll be pretty exciting, too. We're calling that battle royale behind the scenes because it's like, should we do <laughs> surgery or skincare or laser or or threads, or filler, I don't know. But that's going to be a very fun one. So you've got a lot going on at Aesthetic Next. So definitely, guys, if you haven't met Kimmy yet, seek her out at Aesthetic Next. If you're in the Cadaver Lab, find her table because she's 
brilliant to listen to all things anatomy she's you know obviously you can tell now that she knows lots of things about lots of things so definitely seek her out for that but i can't wait to see you in september hopefully before then as well but thank you for coming on today and sharing all of your insights 23 years of aesthetics my gosh you've probably have seen the good the bad the very ugly made tons of friends one of the things we discussed before we came on is Find your tribe, find your network, leverage your people around you who know more than you about some things, you more about things than they do in you know other regards, and really bridge bridge relationships that will help you become a better injector, a better business person, to just have a support system where, you know, in this chaotic environment that we all live in called aesthetics, to survive and to thrive and to not lose your shit really <laughs> I mean mainly because it is crazy here so I think you've done a great job of that you're you know a big part of many people's lives as a mentor and, and them to you as well so I appreciated meeting you only a few months ago and I feel like we're best friends forever now which is fantastic so I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few short months but any last words before we, before we roll off here today I think I think really just it's exciting to be in the aesthetic market if you're thinking about you know changing career paths don't hesitate but Hesitate to do it part-time. I think when you first start out, you need to be a full-time injector to really gain the knowledge and experience that you need to do well for yourself and to do well for your patients. And as you said, you know, make sure that you make friends. I mentor a lot of young injectors through a number of different organizations and groups. And, you know, you need somebody to say, oh my gosh, is this an adverse event? Is this a vascular occlusion? Is this just a bruise? Because again, when you, you have a, a wealth of knowledge that is sometimes social media based, unfortunately, it can be very deceiving and you need to know how to handle those things and you need a resource, um, especially in the med spa industry. You know, you might have a medical director, but they might not be a dermatologist, a board certified plastic surgeon or facial plastic. And maybe you need a resource that that lies outside of their knowledge base a little bit. So find your people, find your tribe, say hello to people if you recognize them from social media at a meeting. Don't hesitate to go up and say hi. Don't hesitate to, you know, follow them or you're already following them. You know who they are. Ask them to, you know, follow you. Ask if they can reach out, exchange, you know, your emails. I think that that's really important. Some of the, you know, fun things that I do are with a local organization called Injectors Gone Wild. And it's really empowering young injectors and women in in the Philadelphia, South Jersey uh, to mid-Jersey areas to have a seat at the table where they may be in small um, industries, smaller businesses that don't have status maybe with the main um, industry companies. So these these meetings are available to anybody. Anybody can join that organization. I speak and I mentor for them. And one of my mentees actually started the organization. So I couldn't be prouder of her. I remember managing through her first adverse event. And now here she is. And she's a leader among you know, newer injectors in our community. And I think that that's fantastic. So giving back to younger injectors as you get further along the way is hugely important. It betters the community. It betters all of us as injectors to make sure that everybody out there has resources, has, you know, friends and, and you know, colleagues that are committed in the industry. I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for, you know, Lou Bucky and Valerie Daly and and Kate Lynch and the people who've worked with me over the years and all of my friends and, and, and mentors that are out there from physicians to nurses to physicians assistants. I mean, we're just so very, very blessed right now that we have so much at our fingertips and so many resources. It's an exciting time to be in aesthetics. It definitely is. We're, we're all, I think, glad to be here. And I can't wait to see what comes next in the next one year, five year, 10 years. It's going to be a wild ride that continues on, hopefully recession proof, depression proof for a long time. But that's it for us today. So 
so glad you came on once more. Can't wait to see you very soon at Aesthetic Next. And we'll see all of you guys next week for our season finale of season three. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.